In Daniel chapter nine, as I mentioned on Sunday, Daniel nine has two major sections. The first half is uh, this beautiful and profound prayer of Daniel the prophet. And the second half, or the second section, is the, the uh, prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. Um, and it's our objective tonight not to cover the whole thing because um, the second section particularly takes some explaining uh, because um, it was a mysterious thing back in the time of Daniel. When he, when he received this vision, man, it made no sense at all. But as history unfolds and as we see what the Bible's talking about, as we get closer to the end, one of the things about Bible prophecy is we start to understand it. The closer we get uh, to the coming of the baby, if you remember, uh, like a woman that's travailing in, in child labor, uh, it's the same kind of way, frequency and intensity of the labor pains. And that's what Jesus said, that's what Paul the Apostle said about the, the coming of the Lord. And so as we get closer to that time when the Lord comes, we shouldn't be surprised that we'll understand Bible prophecy better and better as we get closer to the actual event. Um, so when Daniel wrote Daniel chapter nine, he's like, wow, that's crazy, whatever. And he went on and served the Lord and was faithful, even though he didn't understand much of what he wrote about in the whole latter part of the book of Daniel. Most of these chapters, and Daniel was astonished and I did not understand the writing. You know, and then he just go on and serve the Lord. But you and I have this benefit of thousands of years of seeing the prophecies of the Lord unfold. Uh, which is such a, an important and big part. Um, by the way, one of the things you're hearing, these, these people that are sort of anti-rapture of the church, they don't even believe it's in the Bible because the word rapture is not there, even though the Lord says, we'll be caught up in the air and meet him in the sky. Like, it's an amazing thing that they sort of try to make that point, even though the word rapture was in the Latin Vulgate translation. That's where it really, the word stuck for us in the English language. But um, one thing that these guys say, and I, I, I marvel at their argument, you know, they say, well, these guys are, you know, these guys that believe in the rapture, are, I, I mean, strong language. Nobody used to talk like this until the last, the last year. Everybody's meaner today. Have you guys noticed that? <laughs> Even in the church, people are being meaner. Because I, I know that we have people that disagree and, and the way end times are gonna come out. But man, there's this new sort of uh, thing where they're saying these false prophets. I've even heard that term. I, first of all, let's make it clear, I am not a prophet. Uh, one guy said, Brett Metter's a false prophet. No, I'm not, I'm just not even a prophet. Uh, and I would never claim to be one, that's ridiculous. Uh, um, and I believe the prophets ended with John the, ba the Baptist. He was the last of the prophets, according to Jesus. Um, now you say, well, what about prophecy? Prophecy is in the New Testament. That is a word of prophecy given by the Holy Spirit, but that's very different than you being a prophet. Um, but that's a whole nother discussion. But this idea, you know, that, um, well, you guys are wrong because the rapture hasn't happened. That, have you guys heard that argument? Like I've heard that argument. There's people that say that all the time. These pastors are wrong because the rapture hasn't happened. That's, that's only confirming our case. Do you understand that? We believe in imminence, that the rapture's gonna happen when you least expect it. Yeah, but Brett, it hasn't happened in your lifetime. And it may not. I've never said it would for sure. But I have said this, it very well could. And that's the point, I think. The Bible tells us that these, these days that we're living, we would know the signs and the times. And I think the signs of the times are as obvious and evident as it's ever been. I mean, the rapture, I believe, could happen tomorrow. There's nothing that needs to happen in the Bible uh, for the rapture to happen. But if it didn't in 100 years, I'd still be happy that I lived my life thinking the rapture could happen tomorrow. That's, that's the point. That's why I think we're supposed to live with this great expectation of the imminence of the rapture of the church 
which would then bring in the tribulation period and then the, uh, the second coming of Christ after that. So don't let these people bum you out or get you down. Um, when they get raptured, even though they're being a little mean, uh, good news, the Lord forgives their sins. And, um, uh, but it is funny, there is kind of a narrative out there that, that's kind of gotten more hostile. Um, but um, I would argue that the Bible is very, very clear when it comes to the rapture of the church. And, and uh, we've done whole teachings. If you're interested, just look it up on our website, search the rapture of the church. There's like seven or eight teachings that we've done on why I believe the pre-trib rapture and stuff like that. But all that to say, the book of Daniel chapter nine gives me one of my big reasons why I'm a pre-tribber. And I'll, I'll share that with you. Uh, I think we're gonna so, uh, talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel this weekend, okay? Just a heads up. So we're gonna dive in uh, because I don't want people to miss the 70 weeks of Daniel, which leaves for us tonight a very specific job. Let's, let's dive into this prayer of Daniel and don't diminish this. Oh, I was hoping to get into prophecy. No, 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 no. Uh, prayer is so important. Do you understand that? The Bible makes prayer essential and important. And so hopefully we'll be as passionate about prayer as we are about prophecy, because those two things are very important. So this prayer of Daniel, I believe, is one that is, is really the model. It's a beautiful model, and especially for a culture like ours. You know, we live in this crazy dark day. Um, and you, you, you know, we see a lot of things happening around us where, you know, Daniel might be in captivity, but Boy, I feel like in some ways there's, there's a different kind of captivity that we find ourselves in. We're, we're in not Babylon, we're in Portland. Um, uh, I wonder what Daniel would think, which one was worse. Uh, you know, I, I think about that for a second and I, I wonder, you know, what would Daniel think about the city of Portland and our, you know, um, you know our ways and our, our governing officials and some of the things that's happening today and, and our worldview about God and about, you know, church and about the Bible. I don't know, I think Daniel could relate in a lot of ways to the days we're living. Um, and so Daniel's prayer, I think is extremely appropriate and it really could be the prayer you and I should be praying in very many ways and I'll show you that tonight. So uh, we're gonna divide this up into little chunks, this little prayer, but let's, let's, let's start out in verse one. It says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. This is interesting because, um, you know, here we, we realize Daniel is praying about this topic the 70 years of captivity. And where did he get this? Now, this is interesting. He says, I, Daniel, understood by books. What books would he be reading? Well, he tells us. I understood by the reading of books. Which books? The book of Jeremiah. Um, do you remember Baruch and Jeremiah as they wrote the books? Um, and the Lord said, write these down. This is my word for the people of Israel. So even though, you know, typically Daniel would have looked at the Pentateuch as the, you know, the scriptures, um, it's interesting because Jeremiah would become part of that scripture as well. But Jeremiah was somewhat of a contemporary of Daniel, remember? Jeremiah was there at the very last uh, siege in 586 BC and, and that's the, he was taken off and changed, Jeremiah was. Daniel was taken off in the first uh, you know, uh, attack of the Babylonians. Um, and so Daniel and Jeremiah were similar in time frame. 
But it's interesting because Daniel views Jeremiah as, as the word of God because it, Jeremiah was in fact the prophet and the Lord spoke through Jeremiah. And this really kind of tells us a little bit about what is you know, um, Daniel's motivation. If you wanna jot down these several things about Daniel's prayer, you can start with this one, Daniel's motivation to pray. Um, I love this. This is a good thing that Daniel uses to sort of spark his heart into saying, I need to be praying about this. And what was his motivation? Well, as it turns out, Jeremiah's motivation was the word of God. God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. So what does Daniel do? He prays. He prays about it. He prays about the word. Man, I love this. Jeremiah's writings didn't just simply stimulate his curiosity, but moved Daniel into action. Um, that's something you and I should watch out for. You know, because if you're like me, I love Bible study. Uh, there, you know, the Bible's, you know, maybe you've reached that level, you're like, wow, man, the Bible's amazing. Uh, and it's fun. Uh, you know, there's people that probably think you're nuts because you're here on a Wednesday night studying the scriptures, you know. Um, but as it turns out, you know, if you've been here for a while, you realize, wow, this Bible is this amazing book written by 40 different authors, you know, on three different continents over a 1500 year period. But you see the fingerprints of God all over every passage of the book of, books of the Bible. And you realize this is a mysterious, amazing, powerful book. It's not just some book of literature as your college professor says. It's a powerful living book. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And when you start to get to that, you're like, wow, I love Bible study. And that's great. I do too. But one thing we have to be careful about is not to just let Bible study stimulate our curiosities about the amazing book of the Bible, but it should spring us into action. And I love that Daniel understood by the reading of books, the book of Jeremiah, concerning the 70 years of captivity that was gonna be upon them in Babylon. And what does that do? It motivates Daniel to prayer. That was his motivation for prayers by reading the scriptures. You know, this is, this is such a, a great thing because um, uh, he's really doing what the Lord calls him to do uh, through Jeremiah's words. What were the words of Jeremiah, by the way, that Daniel's referring to that made him know about the 70 years? Would you keep your finger here and go with me to Jeremiah? Let's, let's review what we learned a few months ago uh, in Jeremiah chapter 25. In Jeremiah 25, verse 11. This is what Daniel is referring to. Jeremiah 25, 11. It says in Jeremiah 25, 11, uh, all the way through verse 13. It says, and this whole land shall be a desolation, an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. And that nation saith the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and I will make it a perpetual uh, desolation. And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it. Even all that is written in the book which Jeremiah the, uh, hath prophesied against all the nations. So here in Jeremiah 25, 11 through 13, Daniel understands by the reading of Jeremiah, 70 years of captivity in Babylon, and then God would eventually judge the Babylonian empire. And he did. Already Daniel has seen this because now the Babylonian empire has already fallen. And Daniel's already into the Medo-Persian empire 
by this time. Um, and we, uh, you know, it's interesting because um, we know this, this is in the first year of Darius, uh, his reign, that's when the Medes and the Persians took over. So Daniel's already realized some of Jeremiah's prophecies. But it's not just there, flip the page forward to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, by the way, in, those, in, in chapter 25, um, Jeremiah is referring to Old Testament, uh, you know, Leviticus 25, talking about if you forsake me, I will judge you. And, and, and so Jeremiah 25, the 70 uh, years determined, that was told to us in 2 Chronicles 36, 21, because they hadn't, you know, let the land go fallow, but they didn't give the years of Sabbath to the land. And the Lord says, you owe me. Um, so really, these are just fulfillments of scripture. But in Jeremiah chapter 29, um, it says here in verse 10, for thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished about at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good towards you for in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, then shall you go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found in you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again to the place whence I caused you to be uh, carried away captive. Notice there at the end of verse 12, and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken to you. Isn't this great? Like this just connects the dots. Daniel saying, okay, 70 years. And then the, Daniel reads on in Jeremiah 29 verses 10 through 14 and says, what? And in that time after that captivity, which Daniel's now nearing the end of that captivity here in Daniel chapter nine. And what does he do? I mean, he says, I'm gonna do what the Lord says we're gonna do. I'm gonna go to the Lord in prayer. You shall go and pray to me and I will hearken unto you. Daniel's just taking a promise of God's word and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna hold on to that promise. I'm gonna do what the Lord tells me and I'm gonna seek the Lord and the Lord says, you will find me. And that's exactly what's gonna happen here. Daniel's gonna be met in this prayer in perhaps the most profound way of God meeting someone in prayer that I've ever seen in my life or heard of. Daniel's gonna be met radically. I love how Daniel just does what the word tells him to do. He, he, he's actually doing uh, what the scriptures say that, you know, this is the time to be praying, Daniel. So what does Daniel do? An old man, he could have just been sitting in a rocking chair, uh, chilling out, you know, watching, you know, kids play in the street or whatever. But he says, I'm gonna spend time fervently praying. We're gonna see how fervent here in a second. Um, by the way, um, some people, you know, we've been talking a lot about prayer because the book of Daniel uh, really does camp out on that quite often. And prayer is a powerful part of Daniel's ministry and it should be a powerful part of our ministry as well. But have you ever wondered how to pray? Or, um, you know, how do these people pray? Like I, I was telling a guy once, uh, yeah, we're having a, a time where the, the elders get away. And once every so often the, our, our elder board, we get away and just pray. And we, well, sometimes we'll just do it for a 24 hour prayer time. We're literally, we just go pray for 24 hours. And um, I'll tell you, those are the most powerful times and the Lord has met us every single time when we go to pray and seek the Lord. But I was telling the guy, he's like, what are you doing this? I said, well, I'm gonna go do some prayer. Well, what and he kind of pressed, I said, well, we go and pray and we pray for 20. Well, what do you pray for, for 24 hours? 
And I was like, he was just stunned, stunned. Like, how do you pray for, how do you do that? And, and um, it's funny because I can see, you know, um, from some people's perspective, yeah, that's a good question. What do you guys pray about? But one of the things you gotta remember is you can open up this huge door of what you and I should be praying about. Does anybody wanna know what that door is? Anybody wanna guess? What's the door you open? The Bible. Man, if you just pray the Bible, you and I could be praying for the next thousands and thousands of years. Just pray, Brett, why should we pray the Bible? Because then you'll know, well, let me give you three reasons. Uh, You can jot them down. You know, praying scripture is powerful because, number one, it keeps my prayers in line with his will. If I'm praying scripture, guess what? Um, I'm gonna be praying what's on God's heart and God's mind. You know, we need to discover the will of God through his revealed word. Um, People are saying, what's God's will for my life? Oh, it's right here in black and white. His word tells us everything we need to know. And there's something about praying through the scriptures. Um, you know, he wants, you know, like, like, let me give you a few scriptures. You could jot these down. Like, like, is it okay to pray that we love one another? How do you know? How should we pray for loving, loving one another? Because Jesus said in John 13, 34, you know, a new commandment I give unto you, now that you love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. Like here's Jesus saying, oh, I want you to love as I have loved you. I want you to love one another. So is it safe to, to say, well, that's a good bet. The Lord will hear that prayer because it's in line with the scripture. Oh Lord, help us to be loving as you love us as you love us unconditionally and sacrificially, help us to love each other unconditionally. and so, Like you can pray the scripture and you're in good standing. Matthew chapter nine, verses 37 and 38. Um, you know, when Jesus was talking about how the field was white with harvest, that like there's a lot of people that are not saved that need to hear the gospel. And then there's a harvest that needs to be had. And Jesus said in, in you know, Matthew nine, uh, verse 38, he says, pray therefore the Lord, the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers for the harvest. Jesus told us, pray for this, pray for laborers for the harvest. Is that something you've prayed? This is something Jesus specifically said, do you wanna know what to pray for? Pray for this, for laborers that will be out harvesting. Uh, when it comes to souls being saved, people accepting Christ. When was the last time you made that? That's one of the things, there's actually only a few things Jesus said to pray about. And this is one of them, pray for the laborers of the harvest. What about John 17, verses 20 and 26? You know. Um, Jesus was talking about what he was praying for. And he said, neither I pray I for these things alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, the Christians, the church. And he says, that they may be one. One of the big prayers of Jesus was that the church be united. Isn't that something? That's, that's one of the things Jesus said, oh Lord, that Father, that they would be one. And sadly, we need to be praying for that because the church is not one right now. The church is scattered and we're divided and sometimes we, we really should divide ourselves from false teaching and false doctrine, of course. But at the same time, I've noticed, like I mentioned earlier, when people get all up in a tizzy about some of the non-essentials, I, if you haven't done a study on essential doctrine versus non-essentials, when we're talking about non-essentials, it doesn't mean that they're not important, but it means if you wanna be within the pale of orthodoxy in the, in the Christian church, there are certain things that you, that you can't you know, mess around with. For example, 
you know, the deity of Christ. If Christ is just a man, then you're outside of the pale of orthodoxy. The Bible teaches that God became a man, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ was God with us. And, and it's a part of the Trinity. Like this is the essential doc doctrines of the Christian faith. Anybody who doesn't believe in the div divinity of Christ, they're outside of the pale of orthodoxy. You can argue that till you're blue in the face, but that's a dividing thing because it's an, an essential doctrine. A non-essential doctrine is what songs you sing at church. Uh, okay, that's not an essential one. But there's even important ones. Like I'll even say this. Um, some people have different views on the power of the Holy Spirit and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Some of our Christian friends believe they're cessationists. They believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't manifest like the first Corinthians 12 uh, in the same way that he did in the early church. I disagree with that. I believe the Holy Spirit moves today as much and will move even more as we get closer to the end times than he ever did. Um, so I do believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've always said it, I'm a charismatic except with a safety belt. We're charismatics with safety belts. Um, and the safety belt is the word of God. That's why you don't see people flopping around in our aisles or swinging from the lamps or, you know, all because that's not in the Bible. That's just people being weird. But I do believe in the manifesting of the Holy Spirit and it is for today. But, but do I still love my friends swinging from the chandelier? I think they're weird, but I, I, I think they're saved, a lot of them. Now, be careful, because sometimes the, there's some extreme hyper-Pentecostalism that does get outside of the pale of orthodoxy. You have to watch out for all that. Just like there are some chosen frozen that get so far away too. We have to discern what are the essential doctrines, what are non-essentials. By the way, your position on the rapture of the church that's a non-essential doctrine of the Christian faith. Um, people are trying to make it somehow like this thing uh, that's an essential doctrine. I think that's uh, a very much a misnomer. And, and by the way, um, pastors and churches have believed what I believe about this for uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's only the last year and a half uh, that some people have gotten weird about some of this stuff. So just be on your, on your, on your watch. Um, so anyway, all that to say, you know, um, you know here the church is being divided and, and Jesus tells us, oh Lord, pray. He says that they might be one. That was his prayer. So you can pray, oh Lord, we pray for laborers for the harvest. We pray that we might love one another and we pray that we, we, can, we can be one as a church. Man, unite us. By the way, you know what is interesting about all this stuff that I've noticed? Is there is a uniting going on in the church and it is, it's just kind of funny. Uh, and I know this might sound self-serving, but I'm just gonna say it because I think it's true. Um, the churches that are doing really well right now like if you look in America, there's churches that are doing really well and there's not a lot of them, but there are a lot of churches, you know, I, I say a lot, but the majority, there's a lot of churches, the majority are not doing so well. Um, you know, and pastors aren't really saying this as much, but most churches that you talk about are filling up 30, 40% since pre-COVID numbers. And, um, and, and you kind of go, why is that? Like, why are these churches not filling back up? And here's what some of these pastors are saying. Um, and again, this saddens me because a lot of these churches, I disagree with on some of the stuff they do, but they're not essential doctrine issues. So while I disagree with them on some of the stuff they're talking about, I still pray for them and hope that the people get saved at their churches and stuff like that. We have to remember that. But the sad thing is some of these churches that have kind of started to dabble in some wokeism and, and kind of getting away from just you know, Bible, 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 and getting more into opinion, 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 and stuff. Those are the churches people haven't come back to. And it's really kind of a sad thing. And I, I'm gonna say just from my limited, this is not a scientific study, but those churches aren't filling up. Now, here's what's even more sad. 
Some of these pastors that were once pastoring big churches, kind of like this one, they're all saying, you know what? We feel really called, the big church is not of God. Did you hear that? That's what they're all saying. We're, we believe in downsizing. We believe that God is leading us to be in more of a small church community. Now I say community. Um, and um, it's all about community, which is funny because it's not all about community. In fact, uh, it's very little to do with community. But um, it has a lot more to do with a lot of other things that are more important. But, but it's funny, these, the, the pastors that I'm seeing, it's heartbreaking to me because they're almost rationalizing why nobody's coming back to their churches. And they're saying, we believe God is leading. Well, God is leading them to maybe no one in their church. If they keep going, they're out there going because they're not really sticking with scripture. They got, man, you gotta stick with the Bible. The churches that are thriving and packed out, you know, and don't have any more parking spaces and going to five services and stuff like that, <laughs> those crazy churches, they tend to be the ones that are just teaching the Bible, like through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, not him and, and Han and playing games with the, the current culture and the feelings of everybody. They're, they're actually talking about, here's what the Bible says, here's what God says, the end. <laughs> like that's what it is right there. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really do. Could, would you join me though in, in like, we need to be praying for our local churches that are within the pale of orthodoxy. We might have some small doctrinal differences and stuff. Let's pray that the Lord will bless those churches, but bless them that they might be one with, with us even on the essential doctrines. But, but also not be so easily, you know, lured away. And, and guess what? They're scriptures. You know how I told you we're praying through scriptures? There's scriptures that talk about there's grievous wolves that want to come into the church and rip off the sheep. And we should be praying for these local churches. Oh Lord, don't let the wolves come in and, and uh, rip off the sheep and have lamb chops. Uh, no, we want to see the church, you know, the, the church, the sheep. Man, these are the, these are the little sheep that the Lord Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood. This is something that's super valuable to him. And, uh, and we need to be praying for the church. Well, I shouldn't have got off on all that, but praying scripture is powerful because number one, it keeps my prayers in line with you know, the will of the Lord. Number two, the, the reason praying scripture, you know, even speaking it ver, verbatim, uh, verbatim uh, is powerful because the word of God instructs me how to pray. Um, now this is important, this is a hard one because I've also told you recently, don't pray King James language. Um, you don't have to speak King James, but you might speak ESV. What do you mean, Brett? I like the English Standard Version. How many of you guys use ESV? Anybody in here? Yeah, quite a few of you. That's, I love that one. Uh, some of you, uh, you know, uh, NIV. Hopefully it's pre-1984 NIV. Uh, but, you know, the point is, I, I, I'm making the point, you don't have to speak King James language, but it is good to pray Bible language. Do, do you see the difference there I'm saying? Speaking the words that are in the scriptures. You know, like um, I, 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 I put in my notes here, Psalm 145. Try that this week. If you want to try this praying the word of God, pray through Psalm 145. It's one of the most beautiful uh, offerings of praise to an amazing and important God and, and just make it a prayer. Read it and say, oh yes, Lord. You know, and, and just speak those words of the things that the Lord says. You know, why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou, hope thou in God? Like, like there's, there's a prayer that we can just say, I'm gonna put my hope in you, Lord. And you're praying scripture. Um, so, you know, as you, as you do, focus on the words and, 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 and speak them back to him on a prayer of praise. 
as you pray through Psalm 145 or any, so many of the other Psalms are great too, just praying them back to the Lord. Um, and doing that will help you learn the language of the Bible and what, what prayers are supposed to sound like. Because if you don't know, it's sometimes kind of hard. How does, how's it supposed to sound? Um, but I love when you pray the scriptures, you, the word of God instructs me on how to pray. And then thirdly, praying the word of God um, and hearing it prayed builds our faith. Uh, praying the word of God and, and hearing. Why do we know that? Well, you know, you know problem, uh, Romans, Romans uh, 10, 17. So then it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you're praying the scripture, your faith is also being strengthened, which the prayer of faith is the one the Lord says, I, I can honor that. I love, I love the prayer of faith. Uh, and that's why we pray in faith, knowing God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we would ask or even think. So praying scripture is powerful. And those are just three. I could probably go on and on about the benefits of praying scripture. But if you, if you would carve out time to pray and you're like, okay, I don't know what to say. One of the things you can do of many is to pray scripture. Just, just turn in your scriptures and start reading and then reform those verses. Say, Lord, when Jesus said that, that you know, I, I would that you love one another, help me, Lord, to be a loving person. Lord, show me the people that I am not loving toward and just change my heart about them. Like just start talking to the Lord about that verse and you'll know you're praying the right stuff and you're not asking amiss. Uh, James says, when you ask amiss, the Lord, it hinders your prayer. The Lord won't hear that prayer when you're just kind of asking things. That, Lord, would you please blow my boss's brain into a tiny little bits of mist? Uh, that the Lord is saying, yeah, it's not in line with my scriptures. You know, I, I want you to love your enemies, not blow their brains up. Um, so you gotta kind of be careful there. So praying scripture, super valuable. Um, so number one, we see Daniel, his, his motivation uh, for, for his prayer was the word of God. I love that. Number two on our list, Daniel's preparation for prayer. Daniel's preparation for prayer. What did he do to prepare his heart? Did, have you ever prepared your heart for prayer? Or do you say, oh, it's time to pray. Okay, Lord, like, like how, how quickly, do you, do you do anything to prepare? Daniel went to great lengths to be ready to pray with a fervent heart. Um, and so what did Daniel do? Let's read, it says here in uh, verses, well, basically verse three, uh, it says, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Do you see how verse three, Daniel, he's like making this a big deal. He's, he's really prepping his heart and his, even his body, he's prepping to be ready to pray to the Lord. When was the last time you actually took some cognitive action and said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prepare my heart for prayer? You know, maybe the first, first thing you gotta do is set the time. Okay, Saturday morning, 6 a.m., I'm gonna get up early before everybody else gets up and I'm gonna just spend an hour, two hours in prayer. And, and what could you do? You could do the same things that, uh, that Daniel does. Um, what does he do? Well, notice the first thing is it says he set his face um, to the Lord. I like that. Um, what does it mean to set your face uh, to the Lord? Um, the only way I can really uh, perhaps explain this is like maybe in a, a term of athleticism. Um, do, you, do you know the game face? Um, I remember when I was on the losing team in America um, and the coaches, you know, we'd be on the bus going to the game and we'd be laughing and doing mess around. The guy's like, come on guys, get your game face on. 
They wanted us to start thinking about the game and getting serious. Um, I'm not sure that would have helped us either way. Um, <laughs> we could have been the you know stone faced like uh, the Mount Rushmore, you know, uh, going to our game, uh, but uh, but it didn't help us. But but when you go to the Lord, setting your face, it has to do with your attitude. Saying you know I'm, I'm getting my prayer face on, like your game face. But but that's what Daniel's doing. He's setting his face unto the Lord. Now, what's interesting is we know Daniel literally faced in a certain direction, don't we? He, he faced himself, you know, westward toward Jerusalem uh, when he prayed, uh, and he prayed three times a day. But this one here, it seems like a whole nother level of prayer that he's doing even when he prayed and got thrown in the lion's den. But he, he, he gets his face set unto the Lord. That's the first thing. And then the second component of his preparation was with fasting. Um, fasting and prayer often go hand in hand. Jesus talked about those demons. They didn't know how to cast them out. And Jesus said, well, this one, these come out by prayer and fasting. Like, uh, isn't that something? That Jesus must've been already fasted up before he even bumped into these demonic entities. Uh, the disciples must've been, you know, having a falafel or something, uh, shawarma, uh, as they're sitting there and like, uh, why couldn't we pass? Why couldn't we cast out those demons? Jesus said, this one comes out by prayer and fasting, boom. And he does that, which means he was prepared with that. And fasting is something that's good. Now, some of you are like, well, Brett, you don't look like you fast very often. Well, <laughs> as it turns out, uh, I, I do fast uh, from time to time. And, I, and I, I'll confess, I should fast more. But the times I have fasted and prayed, I feel like the Lord uses fasting and, and it's such a huge blessing. By the way, there's an old little book. It's not hard to read. I think it came out in like the 1950s or 60s, but it's called God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. Have any of you guys read that book, God's Chosen? Yeah, it's been around for a long time, but it's, it's worth a read. Um, I'm a little worried about some of the more modern fasting books because they get a little into the, um, you know, um, I don't know how to say this without being offensive, but a little bit, you know, um, uh, eating nuts and twigs and um, a little too essential oily, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I hate to say that because I just lost half my, well, all the women uh, in the room here. And the men are like, preach it, brother. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but uh, oh, now I'm in hot water. <laughs> I could have to note self, get flowers for Debbie on the way home tonight. Um, okay. um, so, uh, <laughs> but, but if you know what I mean, like I think they bring in some other components uh, to the fast of the biblical fast that are not even really necessarily uh, part of the biblical version of fasting. Uh, and also some of you are like doing it for, you know, intermittent fasting because you want to get in shape. Good for you, that's great. But that's not really uh, what the Bible actually says about, um, about fasting. So do what you want with fasting. But when it comes time to prayer and fasting, that's, that's why I like Andrew or Arthur Wallace's book, by the way, uh, because he kind of goes from a real biblical perspective. Here's what the biblical fast uh, looks like and why we do it and stuff like that. Um, but, but all that to say, Daniel's fasting. Uh, and, and we don't know if that means all day or did he fast a certain meal. Um, you know, in Bible times, a lot of times they would fast during the day and then when the sun went down, they would have a meal. And, but they'd spend the whole day without any food until the sun went down. Uh, that would be oftentimes a fast. There were, inter, there were intermittent fasts uh, for believers, for religious reason, reasons. Um, we've, by the way, speaking, the Muslims have picked up on the fasting thing. Um, we've learned not to go to Israel during Ramadan, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it's because all the Muslims are fasting during Ramadan. And you go to these places where the Muslims are, and they're all really grouchy because they're fasting. 
And, uh, and, and they close their shops and stuff early because as soon as the sun goes down, they get to eat again. So like they close at like 3.30 in the afternoon, <clears throat> you know, no more tourism. And they go home and get a, you know, not a hot dog, but something, you know. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's kind of funny. But, but all that to say, Jesus was pro-fasting. Matthew chapter six, you know, verses uh, 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast, uh, don't be like the hypocrites of sad countenance for they disfigure their faces like the Muslims. Um, <laughs> I've seen that. Um, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that thou appear not unto men to be fasting, but unto your father which is in secret. And your father which sees thee in secret shall reward thee openly. That's what Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18 says. So then you got fasting and then linked to that sackcloth, number three, on, on his preparation. Uh, he prepared himself with sackcloth. Um, now, you know, we, we read about sackcloth and ashes all the time in the Bible, but sackcloth, um, there's a couple scriptures you could write down. First Kings 20, uh, verses 31 and 32. Uh, there was a, a group that put on sackcloth as a sign of submission to authority. And that's one of the sort of definitive sections of the Bible. Uh, sackcloth speaks of submission, but it also in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse one, speaks of grief and even self-humiliation. So sackcloth would be this kind of clothing that was you know, sort of like gunny sack and it wasn't a comfortable cloth. Um, you're not interested in making yourself comfortable, but almost um, in, in some ways, some people might say like buffeting your body, saying I'm not gonna be comfortable because I wanna have a, a heart that's not so comfortable with my sinfulness. And there's sort of a submission, but also a grief and self-humiliation that is associated with, with sackcloth. And then the, the fourth component was ashes. And oftentimes you see sackcloth and ashes put together. Um, they, they often are in tandem. The imposition of ashes um, of dust or dust of the ashes. Um, it's a reminder, uh, oftentimes the Bible associates ashes with our death. You know, like in Genesis talks about your, your dust, you know, and from the, you were made from the dust and, and to dust you will return, that kind of thing. And, and that's sort of the symbol. Um, but it's also sorrow for our sins. Ashes speak of sorrowful, um, you know, attitude about our sinful uh, be, behavior. And, and, and all of this Daniel did, these four things, um, to prepare his heart and to make sure that he had the right attitude before God. It's interesting that his outward things of eating and what he was wearing and the sackcloth and, and setting his face, these were all things that were outward things that were speaking of an internal attitude. And uh, he was taking deep care to, to approach the Lord with the right attitude. And, and that's something for you and me. How many times have you prayed and actually prepared yourself? Um, even on the external things, have prepared yourself uh, for your, your time of prayer. Um, and, uh, and by the way, you know what I love about prayer is it's, it's um, when you come with this attitude of submission and knowing that you're a sinner and, and all these things uh, with fasting, it puts you in a place of submission and you're not trying to you know, tweak the hand of God. You're trying to change your own heart and, and come with a, a receptivity. Um, there's an old saying, it's not twisting the arm of God, it's turning the heart of man. That's what prayer does. Not twisting the arm of God, but turning the heart of man. So I love this, verse three. Um, now, we gotta hurry, verse four. Uh, this brings us uh, to number three on our list. Uh, and it's, it's, it's right here in verse four, Daniel's disposition before prayer, verse four. 
It says, and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Um, I love what Daniel's doing. He starts, and and this is where, you know, um, uh, he actually starts talking. Um, Some of us would say this was the beginning of the prayer, but in some ways he started the prayer back in verse three when he was getting himself ready to pray. But now words are flowing. And the first words that I love is, is it speaks of Daniel's disposition uh, by remembering who he's talking to. Um, boy, I, I wonder if sometimes we wrongly think we're praying to the man upstairs, our good old buddy pal God, you know, the, the, the man upstairs, the old man in the chair, you know, whatever you wanna call him. Uh, r- really? We gotta remember, he's the God of all gods, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yes, Jesus calls us his friend, but he's still God. And reverence is something that is still important when you come before the Lord. I think that's an important thing. And Daniel, he just says, oh Lord, the great and dreadful God. Like, do you sense there's, a, there's an awe that Daniel holds in his heart for who he's speaking to? And, and there's a reverence here, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Um, by the way, this kind of starts to reach into what we talked about on Sunday. Remember verse 18 of the same chapter? We read on Sunday, we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. Verse four is the same discussion. He's an amazing, powerful God, great and dreadful, but he's also full of mercy, keeping the covenant with them that love him. So I like how he starts his his prayer with the right disposition. It's not all about Daniel, it's all about the Lord. It's all him. And that's what we looked at on Sunday. It's all him. Uh, That's number three. Number four observation, as we continue to sort of look at this prayer, Daniel's confession by prayer. And this is sort of the the bulk of the prayer. Verses five through 15 kind of speaks of Daniel's confession by prayer. Let's take a look at this, this confession. And I want you to note as we read this, how many times Daniel says, I and we, um, uh, he's talking about us. He includes himself on something. And if I were Daniel, I'd be tempted to say, Lord, forgive our people, the Jews. They sure were rascals. They did this and they did. No, notice with me how Daniel owns this. This is a big part of this. So verse five, he says, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and thy judgments. Notice the first thing that he confesses is that they departed from his precepts and judgments. What, 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 what would be the precepts and judgments? Anybody? The word of God. That's the word of God. The precepts and judgments, including the 10 commandments, but also the, the law of Moses, the Pentateuch. They had gotten away from scripture. And that's the first thing Daniel really acknowledges. And boy, that's why it breaks my heart to see the Christian church getting further away from really giving value to the whole scripture. Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Paul says, I have not shunned to declare you the whole counsel of God. But man, you know, there's a lot of churches that have their kind of short list of verses that they'll kind of do topical studies, but it's really good to cover some ground so that we're getting the full counsel. And what happens when we only hear bits and pieces of the scripture, we might be not even really realizing and having discernment, wow, that what, what, we, what you're talking about is not even biblical because you're just using some verse out of context. 
sort of make your argument. And we see that all the time. Oh, God forbid. Daniel prays, oh Lord. He says, man, um, we have done wickedly. And, and the first thing, by departing from thy precepts and thy judgments. That's, that's God's word. He goes on in verse six, neither have we hearkened unto the, thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us, confusion of faces. Does that sound familiar today? Man, there's so much confusion out there. Righteousness belongs to the Lord, but, but there's, with us, confusion of faces. As at this day, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, that are near, that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel hath transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. And in verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and hast gotten thee renown, as, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. This is where Daniel confesses the sins of the nation, departing from the word of God, not keeping his commandments, statutes and judgments, precepts and laws. And, and he says, you, you promised that this curse, verse 11, that this curse would come upon us. Daniel's acknowledging that the repercussions of their sins are in fact happening. And he's acknowledging that God's word is true. Um, and Daniel's including himself. That's the thing about Daniel's confession that we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Um, this is an amazing thing. If I were Daniel, Daniel was the righteous one of the bunch. He was the one doing the right thing the whole time. I wonder if maybe we could learn a bit from this because it's so easy in this American culture that we have to have kind of this us and them mindset. But I wonder if, if we took up Daniel's attitude, what would happen if we took time to pray and said, Lord, the United States, we have sinned we have sinned when Roe versus Wade was passed and we, we didn't see the life, uh, what they called fetal tissue. Your word calls this beautifully, wonderfully made little child in a mother's womb. And we have rebelled against your word on that one. 
We have done wickedly. Well, Brett, I've never had an abortion. Yeah, but it's our country. And Daniel sort of takes ownership of this. This is, <laughs> this is what we would call extreme ownership. I wonder if maybe we should be doing that as well. Oh Lord, we have sinned, we have done wickedly and owning what our nation has actually been doing. I think there might be some real power and real um, benefit for the church of Jesus Christ to acknowledge our own sins as a nation, not just you personally, but nationally. That's what Daniel's doing here. It's worth something to think about. Um, you know, by the way, there's real power in the confession of sin. And, and I wonder if there's power in the confession of sin of a, of a nation. Um, if there is power in the confessions of sin as a person, could it be that there's real power in the confession of sin as a nation? Um, you know, um, John chapter one, first John chapter one, listen to what Jesus says about this, or I should say John says about this. Um, he says in John uh, one, first John one, five through 10, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You see, the point is we need to make sure and be acknowledging the sin that's in our own lives. But sometimes we sanctimoniously, well, at least I'm not like those people that believe in abortion, or at least I'm not like those people that have yanked prayer out of school, or those people that are teaching things to our children that is godless and horrible. And, and I'm glad I'm not like those people. Does that start to sound familiar? We talked about that guy on Sunday. The guy is like, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. And that guy's prayer was not actually even heard. So to actually acknowledge and say, oh Lord, we're sinners. And to even acknowledge as a nation that we walk in darkness. Um, if we say we have fellowship with him, verse six, and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not have the truth. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Oh man, what a glorious truth that is. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Um, verse nine there I've highlighted because everybody knows that verse, but do you know the context of that verse? You know, the context of that verse there in 1 John is basically saying, man, if you think you don't have sin, you're a liar. You don't even know what you're talking about. And, and it's important to know the context there because um, there's that propensity to say, well, I'm glad I'm not like those people. And we have this sort of sanctimonious attitude. Daniel does not have that. Daniel's saying, oh Lord, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. And Daniel's owning it. I think that's important. I wonder if, this, I wonder if there's a little more hope for this nation if we would just, as a church, be broken before God because of our nation. I just wonder, something to think about. But be that as it may, we could uh, look at this and, and, and maybe you could spend more time on this confession, verses five through 15 of Daniel, because it's, it's a powerful confession and, and um, I love what he's saying. But he's basically saying, we have gone against the Lord and because of that, we have been given the curse that he told us about. Uh, we've sinned and, and because of that, we've, we're scattered and we've been driven out of Jerusalem. Well, so Daniel's, um, you know, Daniel's confession by prayer, number four. Number five on our list, as we keep going, verses 16 through 19 speaks of Daniel's supplication through prayer. What's he gonna pray for now? So he's confessed in this section of prayer, but now we're gonna kind of hear what his supplication is. And it's an interesting thing that he asks for. What do you think Daniel's gonna ask for? 
Um, you know, and, and it's something that I find, it's almost too simple, but it's so simple, it's so good. Let's take a look. Daniel's supplication through prayers, verses 16 through 19. He says, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and a supplication and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and for thy people are called by thy name. That's the prayer of Daniel. Daniel's supplication. What is his supplication? Remember, we talked about supplication, letting your request be made known to God. That's what supplication is. What's his request? One word, he's asking for mercy. Lord, be merciful to Jerusalem. Be merciful to thy people and thy holy city. That's what he's praying about. He's praying about the 70 years of captivity that are determined upon thy people, the Jews, and thy holy city, Jerusalem. And, and, and man, Daniel just drops this so perfectly. That's what we need. That's what, what does the world need more than just about anything? Mercy, the mercy of God. Without the mercy of God, we are toast. Um, it's the worst thing you could ever imagine is not having God's mercy. Um, if you're a person that does not have God's mercy, where do you end up? Yeah, nobody wants to say it. Help. <laughs> yep. H-E double hockey sticks. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that's the truth. Remember Saul? Um, you know, King Saul was this guy who had everything going for him. He even prophesied and did all these things, you know. <clears throat> but he, he ended up doing some weird stuff and got really doing his own thing and walked away from the Lord. But one of the sad scriptures that, that we read about King Saul, and I always mention this and some people will struggle with this, but um, it's just true. It says, and the Lord withdrew his mercy from King Saul. That means we're not gonna see Saul in heaven. That's a really sad thing. Um, you know, there's only a few people in the Bible you know for sure they're not gonna be in heaven. Uh, you know, Judas Iscariot's not gonna be in heaven because he's called by definition, the son of perdition, that's, a, that's a, a real sad thing that he's, you know, he was so lost that he, he's going to hell for sure. Uh, there's a few others, but, but one is King Saul because the Bible says God withdrew his mercy from King Saul. That's, that's a sad thing. And so Daniel understands that what the Jews need and what Jerusalem needs is the mercy of God. Without God's mercy, they're toast. And so he prays very simply. He confesses, chapter uh, nine, verses five through 15, he confesses his sin, but then here, uh, you know, his, his supplication in verses 16 through 19 is simply, Lord, have mercy on us. Um, he's not commanding God or ordering God to, to do something. He's simply placing, you know, himself and the Jews and the city of Jerusalem at, his, at the merciful will of the Father in heaven. And that's what true prayer really is, by the way, is to say, Lord, you know, do what you do. If you're, if you're asking the Lord to do something that he doesn't do, um, then you might have to redirect your prayer, change your prayer. Daniel's prayer is, here is in line with what the rest of the Bible says. Oh, the Lord wants to be merciful. 
Um, he's quick to be merciful, the Bible teaches. His mercy endures for how long? Forever. Was Daniel in good, good you know, reason in his praying for mercy for Jerusalem? Of course he was, because the rest of Scripture fully uh, you know, substantiates uh, that hope and that prayer that Daniel makes. So that's what prayer really is. It's just us saying, Lord, we want your will to be done. We're submitting to you. Even though we've sinned, even though we've fallen short, we're gonna base everything we're looking to as, uh, upon your mercy. Daniel's praying the, the beautiful, in my opinion, one of the perfect prayers of the Bible right here. Well, Brett, how do you know it was a perfect prayer? Maybe it wasn't. Well, I've, I've, got, um, I've got really maybe just one more point. You say, well, the prayer's done. Well, there's one more thing, and that is, uh, you know, number six on our list. Um, and that is um, Daniel's uh, perception from prayer. Daniel's perception from prayer. Um, once he was done praying, something radical happens. Daniel was praying concerning the 70 years of captivity, but then what happens? Let's take a look. Let's read. There in Daniel chapter nine, um, it says there in verse 20, and whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people. So we don't even really know the full prayer maybe because it seems like he's still praying, confessing and confessing even his own sins. Maybe he just left that out and didn't write that in the Bible. I'm not gonna write my sins in the Bible and list them one by one. Uh, I don't blame Daniel for that, uh, but that, that's the implication. He's just praying, confessing, and doing this stuff. Then suddenly it says, um, I was you know, praying, praying for my sin, the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, uh, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, that's Mount Zion, Jerusalem. And then verse 21, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man, Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. What happens? Gabriel flies in whew, really fast. What a scene, what a trip. That's when you know your prayer must be doing something. You're like, oh Lord, all of a sudden, whoosh, whoosh. and this angel's touching, you're like, <laughs> like, like, what do we do now? but let's read ahead. I, I'm tempted to, to not to, to, to dive into this, but just, just it says, and verse 22, he informed me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give you skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth. In other words, right when he started praying, the Lord commanded um, that I come to, to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved Therefore, understand the matter, consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now pause right there. What's going on? The angel comes whooshing in, touching him. And what a beautiful statement, Daniel. We heard your, your prayer. And by the way, you're greatly beloved. And you're like, wow. I wish I was like Daniel. I wish I was greatly beloved. You are. And I'm not one of those guys, you're good enough, you're smart enough, you're enough. You know that. I'm not one of those mushy-gushy guys. But as it turns out, God loves you so much. Uh, that's the truth. That is biblical truth. God loves you. And it's not because you're amazing and because you're sinless and because you're more awesome than everybody else. God just has this amazing love for his people. And man, if you've been chosen and called, you're, you're more beloved than like a son or a daughter. Like the Lord loves you. And, and when Daniel gets this word, oh, I wonder if Daniel's like, what, 
what, I am? You're greatly, man, you're hearing this from the angel. This is like, uh, wow, you're greatly beloved. I just, I could just kind of camp out on that one all night. What a beautiful thing for Daniel to hear that. But know this, the Lord says the same thing to you. If you're a believer, um, well, God loves everyone. Oh, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But there is something about when you become a child of God and accept Christ, man, you, there's, a, there's a love that he has for you that is more like this Daniel-esque kind of beloved sort of uh, thing. And, and suddenly you're the bride of Christ. Christ loves you and, and his love for you, it makes any you know, young couple that are newly in love, it looks like you know, nothing compared to what God has for you. So I love that about this. Daniel, you're greatly beloved. Therefore, in other words, because you're, you're so loved, we're gonna knock you out with this radical prophecy. And he says, 70 weeks or 70 seven-year periods are determined upon thy people, the Jews, and thy whole holy city, Jerusalem. What, what, what perception would Daniel have gained by prayer? First of all, that he's greatly loved. Man, if you're feeling down and blue, and like nobody loves you and nobody cares about you, maybe one of the things you could do is spend some time in fervent prayer like Daniel. Um, because the Lord, I've never seen it where a person spends a time in fervent prayer and the Lord just doesn't meet us and show us that he's there and that he loves us. That's a good thing. But not only was Daniel revealed that he was loved, but also that Daniel says, or God says to Daniel through the angel, listen, you were praying about 70 puny little years that are almost done and kind of history, literally. But I'm gonna reveal to you a 490, seven, you know, 70 times seven, 490 years that are specifically determined upon the, the Jews and upon the city of Jerusalem. And then the next part of the chapter, it's crazy. The, the prophecy of this is, is incredible. And um, you don't wanna miss that this weekend because the 70 weeks, I feel like it's one of the prophecies that everybody should know because it's so powerful. Daniel's gonna get the whole thing. Not only is he gonna learn about when the Messiah comes, but also about what's gonna happen during the tribulation period and the, the second coming of Christ. And it's pretty powerful. So Daniel's perception from prayer, you might say it was, he knew he was loved, but his perception was so broadened. He was praying about this and God gave him that. And that's what happens. Those of you that are prayer warriors, you know what I'm talking about. You go and say, oh Lord, help this and help that. And you start praying and, and you're just kind of giving the Lord your cares and stuff. And then the Lord just shows you something that makes all that other stuff seem like nothing. Um, that's what happens in prayer. Um, it's such a beautiful thing. When I told you that the, 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 the elder board goes off and prays, we always go, oh man, we need to pray some, about some stuff with the church and people in the church, things people are going. And we go to pray, but we always, always, always come back with a much more broad perception of what God has for us as a church and what we should be doing. Every single time, bigger perspective. perspective. Um, you know what I love about this um, is uh, you might say, oh, Brett, this sounds pretty tedious. All this prayer and fasting and sackcloth and ashes, and then you have to pray the right stuff, and praying scripture. You know, the thing about this is Daniel's prayer here, if you read it comfortably, verses five through 19, you can pray it in one minute and 18 seconds. I timed it this afternoon. <laughs> there you go. And it took me one minute and 18 seconds to just comfortably read and pray the prayer of Daniel. Um, sometimes I think we, we think, remember the Lord hears us for our much speaking. That's not what Daniel's all about. It's not that he sp spent tons of hours. Now in Daniel you know, 10 and 11, we're gonna see Daniel praying for a long time. 
uh, you know, 21 days. Um, and that's gonna be powerful too. But this prayer of Daniel in Daniel 9, he's praying for a minute and 18 seconds and maybe a few more because he added a few more of his sins and stuff. But while he was praying, the angel swoops in and gives him this huge perception, uh, different perspective. Um, Daniel's perception on prayer was broadened and that's what happens with prayer. Man, you know, you and I, we've got much reason to pray and seek the Lord. I hope that the, the book of Daniel, if there's one thing we go away with from Daniel, is that prayer is powerful, prayer is important. You have not because you ask not. Um, man, Lord, give us a heart to be a people of prayer. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we do ask that of you. Um, like the disciples, um, we don't as much even pray, teach us how to pray, but like they did, teach us to pray, Lord. That's, that's really what we wanna do, is we wanna, we wanna be people of prayer. And Lord, you tell us, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please you. Um, and, you know, he that cometh to God, we need to believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that seek him diligently. Lord, as Hebrews 11 says that, I pray that we would be those who diligently seek after you. Not just at the meal table, little prayers of food, thanks. Um, but Lord, teach us to be diligently seeking you. Um, you know, and the prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Oh Lord, I, I, I first of all confess that we have not been a people of prayer. We can get all up into talking about politics and about the world situation, but how many words have we given to that when we really could have been giving everything to you in prayer with supplication and, and letting you, you take our anxieties and our fears and the things we're angry about and just giving us a better perception about what's going on and what your plan and your purpose is and the bigger picture. Forgive us, Lord. And we do, Lord. We take a moment tonight to pray you'd forgive us as a nation. We've walked away from you. We have grandiose claims of being in God we trust. And, and um, we, we used to sing that God shed his grace on us. And, and I know that that really is true. You have been gracious to this nation. But Lord, that graciousness has really oftentimes been trampled on by just sinful humanity, Lord. We've just, we've gone our own way. And we, like Daniel prays, we've gone against your word. As a nation, we've largely become a secularized nation. And Lord, we don't know what the future holds. You know all things. But we do know that those who seek you will find you. And so, Lord, I pray that your church, that we would be those seeking you and and, and letting our requests be made known, teach us to pray, Lord. And, and I pray that you'd take this, this chapter and help us to remember these things, Lord, that our minds would absorb your word and not be so easily uh, forgetting these important parts, these components of, a, of a, an effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. So help us, Lord. Bless these, your people, who have taken this time on a Wednesday night to go through your scripture, Lord. And we pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.